0: I wonder how many of you have heard stories of demon possession. I remember when the original Ghostbusters movie came out in 84 and the circles of Christians that I moved in definitely detected something diabolical going on there. Uh, But that's roughly as close as I've come to demons, I think. Um, I've had my own mysterious experiences where things seem to have happened within my body that I couldn't necessarily understand. I've seen others behave strangely that could have been demons, but it's not easy to know what causes even the things that take place within our own body sometimes. Demon possession, as much as we know anything about it, would appear to be a form of torment. While there must be some kind of payoff, for the possessed person, to facilitate the process of possession, it is by no means a happy condition. The possessed are usually portrayed as angry and violent. They are no longer in control of themselves. Other personalities or wills are being expressed in and through the possessed person. And these outside wills come from somewhere the impact is obviously very traumatic and they cause the person deep distress. Perhaps the most traumatic and distressing event that can befall anyone is to become the target of community accusation such that the person is condemned and utterly rejected. Community rejection is so distressing because we know Without community, we are finished. Whether it's the most practical physical level, because we can't survive on our own, or whether you look at the higher levels of uh, life, like identity and meaning and purpose, we cannot develop any of these things on our own either. They're all relational. They all require community to be cast out is a horrifying prospect. It is so horrifying in fact, that as a last gasp psychological attempt to be counted with the others, a person may even join with the group that is condemning and rejecting them because at least in this way, the person can be one with the group, even though the group is condemning them. It's a really interesting psychological thing that's been observed. And so the accusations and condemnations of others become internalized in the condemned person. Now, there are less dramatic examples of this phenomenon. Most people who have ever spent time in the counseling room will have identified, we could call them voices, or personality traits of others that they unwittingly have internalized. We commonly have the voices of those who raised us still directing us long after we've left the households in which we were raised. It was Aristotle who said, Give me a child until he is seven, and I will show you the man, because he knew the power of the earliest influences on a person's development and life. These voices persist within us, and they can shape the way we navigate the various relationships and circumstances we encounter. You may be interested to know that our word demon comes from the Greek daimon, which is derived from the Greek verb dio, and that means to distribute destinies. So it's very life-shaping stuff. Once a voice is internalized, it's pretty hard to get rid of. It's usually there until we deliberately kick it out or remove it and this is a bit tricky because most of the time we're not aware such things are shaping the way we choose our paths. They've become so much part of us as we've grown up and these voices and influences provide for us the parameters of what we consider allowable. They tell us what to expect from the world. They can even have the power to tell us who we are. Now, the man in today's story had internalized the voices of accusation, judgment, and condemnation. He no longer needed anyone around him to express these things towards him. He carried those accusations and judgments wherever he went. And as a result, he was compelled to act towards himself as he would act toward anyone who was judged and condemned. And that was... Stoning, He was effectively stoning himself, bashing himself against the rocks in this very rugged terrain, living among the tombs like a dead man. And then one day, somebody climbs out of a boat and changes everything for him. Our account is very brief here. We don't get anything more than the essentials But it's clear, Jesus did not reject this man. He would have been quite a sight, I reckon. Not like some rambunctious teenager who's just made some alternative style choices in his life. This man was ragged, dirty, bloody from his perpetual self-harm and violently screaming in an aggressive manner as he ran towards the arriving party. Most of us would have... Retreated straight back onto the boat and found another beach to arrive on. Jesus engages a man. The first thing he does is ask his name. I imagine no one would have shown this man that kind of courtesy for as long as he could remember. And we get a sense of this in his reply because he actually cannot remember his name. The man is now so lost in the accusing and condemning crowd in his head, he no longer knows himself apart from them. It is as though they have become him. He wanted to be part of them originally, part of the group, and instead they've become part of him, internalized in, part in him. Very quickly this man is aware that the voice of Jesus is very different. Jesus is not accusing him. Jesus is not condemning him. And the man's reaction is visceral. There's a reflexive repulsion almost. So what have you got to do with me? The two were coming from such different places. In a a funny kind of way, I've encountered similar reactions at times as I've sought to befriend people in the community and Often people uh, get to know me and they quite like me and they're then really surprised to discover I'm a reverend, make of that what you will. Uh, And often the next line is something along the lines of uh, you don't know me, you're a holy man and I can't begin to tell you how holy I am, they might say. But love is not put off. Love does not allow the rejection and condemnation to be the final word. Jesus goes in hard. The unclean spirits knew they were beat. They begin to negotiate their withdrawal and then are dismissed altogether. I remember in the days when we used to meet here at church, oh, that was only last week, but anyway, there used to be a couple of uh, older women who sat on the bench outside the pub there on Sunday mornings quite early when I would come across early to do set-up And they're both characters in their own right. They used to sit at the benches and make comments at me as I'd walk past, sometimes two or three times because I forget stuff. And uh, I was always chatting with them. And when the music started, they loved listening to the church music. And I said to them, oh, you should come in and enjoy the service. And one morning, uh, one of them said, oh, the church would fall down if I walked into it. And I just couldn't let that comment go. I turned and I said we've got people much worse than you in there. (laughs) I said, I wouldn't mind betting that I'm much worse than both of you. And I can't really recall the right words that I used at the time, but I said, that's who we are as church. We're the collection of people who've woken up to the reality that we need God. When the fear of condemnation is removed, new options, previously outside the realm of consideration, become possible. The man who had so desperately wanted to be one with the group who was rejecting him suddenly had a different option. He could become a friend of Jesus. And becoming a friend of Jesus meant he could let go of his association with the group that condemned him. He was free. My family are big Maxwell Smart fans, Agent 86 of Control. We've watched the whole original series that was made in the 60s and uh, I also enjoyed the movie that was more recently made and there's a scene in the movie set in a ballroom uh, with a dance going on where there's a group of very attractive Russian women waiting to dance and Maxwell Smart approaches this group and asks if one of them would like to dance. There's a pretty woman in the front of the group and she kind of looks at him mockingly and laughs and goes, you know, go away. Whereupon Max responds that he wasn't actually talking to her. Behind this group of pretty women, there's a very large woman sitting. She's not displaying any hope of being asked to dance. She's hanging around and hiding behind the popular girls, because she had no other option. And Max asks her to dance. She's very surprised and a little bit shy and the pretty girls all scoff and think it's ridiculous. But Max persists, he's not put off. He promises it will be fun. And the pair dance in a stunningly beautiful way together. It's it's worth seeing. The whole ballroom become entranced with their style and at the end of the dance they all applaud. And Max and the women bow and part. And uh, as she walks past the group she was previously hiding behind, she gives them a gesture that indicates she's now free of their condemnation. The experience of being not condemned can be powerfully liberating. See, condemnation destroys. I'm not sure there's any net benefit in exploring what unclean spirits or demons are, or what is entailed in the notion of possession. I mean, if you measure the temperature in Fahrenheit or Celsius, it doesn't change how hot it is. What you label a thing is not material to its effect, as it were. I do believe this story shines light on the fact that accusation, judgment and condemnation are destructive, When the legion are dismissed into the herd of pigs, they simply and senselessly destroy them. Accusation, judgment, and condemnation are attempts to deal with apparent evil. It is as though we want to keep the evil as far from ourselves as possible, and that makes perfect sense at one level. So we identify someone other than ourselves as the culprit. And then we seek to destroy the evil by destroying them. Of course, there are times when knowing who did what is crucial for diagnosing an issue and working out what to do better next time. However, accusation and more particularly blame are generally not about better understanding. They're about fear and retribution. They do nothing towards clarifying a situation. And again, condemn is a word uh, we get from a Latin root. I'm not sure how to say it. It's condemnare or condemnare. Greek person, condemnare. Yep. Uh, (laughs) And this is a combination of com, which is an intensive prefix, and damnare, which is to harm or damage. Accusation, judgment and condemnation are intended to be destructive and we might console ourselves that we are destroying evil but whenever we are destroying anything we should be very careful. The tragic reality is all manner of heinous acts have been justified by saying they are the will of God. By contrast, Jesus engages the man with grace There is no fear in Jesus. There is no accusation or judgment. Jesus does not condemn or push away. In fact, his open engagement with the man opens the man to parting company with his legion of spirits. The man has encountered a new friend, a friend far more preferable to the group that were uh, accusing and condemning him and Jesus' approach of grace restores the man. He can leave his past that had possessed him, possessed him, and return to his community. There is no need to hold on to this internalized pseudo community. Now, even though this is a profoundly hope filled story of liberation, there was this herd of innocent pigs that died in the process. And the owners of those pigs and related economic interests and indeed the community in general were not particularly thrilled by Jesus' work. I suspect if you asked them straight out, would you swap the herd of pigs for the restoration of this man to his life and community, they probably would have said, no, we'll take our pigs back, thanks. To them, the man was not worth as much as their pigs'. There are always vested interests, the beneficiaries of the status quo, and generally that's most of us, and we're happy with the way things are. It's interesting because when the townspeople see the restored man, they get frightened. When this story was told to a community of farmers in Iowa, the farmers were surprised that the townspeople were frightened when they saw Jesus. One farmer stood up and said, no, 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 the people should have been angry about the loss of their livestock. But it was the change in the spiritual realities that unnerved them, far more than the loss of their assets upset them. So Jesus makes a strategic withdrawal, leaving this man as a living testimony to the life that he brings. A fruitful testimony it would seem, because a few chapters later in Mark, when Jesus is back in that area, crowds begin to follow him. And that's likely due in part to the stories that this man would have told about his encounter with Jesus. Whatever we make of the notion of possession by unclean spirits, we can recognise times when destructive external influences can have an outsized control over a person's behaviour. I can't help but think of the people involved in the Capitol riots in Washington on January 6th. Many of those who behaved aggressively and destructively have now found themselves in court where they've testified with words to the effect of it's like I've woken up after a bad dream and I cannot reconcile my behaviour with who I am. It's as if they were possessed by something other than themselves. And I believe that there, there is truth in their testimony. When incidents like that occur, the temptation is to condemn, whether it's someone else or perhaps even ourselves. And this has a payoff for those who are doing the condemning. They get to feel righteous. But it offers very limited if we are hoping for substantive change in a life-giving direction, only forgiveness, grace and love get us there. That's not to say consequences are removed from actions, but a way beyond mere judgment, condemnation and expulsion must be found. And Jesus did not balk at extending grace to the condemned. And to this very day, his grace remains the only power that can truly set us free. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace. You are not frightened or put off. You continue to embrace and welcome and forgive and set free. And so we come to you We come to you as those who need you, that you might set us free in your glorious grace. Amen.